Welcome to Blue Dream Health Collective, where we talk about real health as well as chronic illness, self-care, mental health, and other interesting and educational topics. I'm the host, Misty Blue, a biomedical science major and a chronic illness warrior. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you love this episode. Brandon Mao is a type 1 diabetic who has had nine surgeries, lost a kidney, and had a life-saving pancreas implant. Brandon grew up in Southern California and earned a degree in theology, education, and history. After receiving a law degree, Brandon's body started to shut down. This new chapter in life brings a new adventure for Brandon as a motivational speaker, writer, and advocate. Brandon, please say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Brandon Mao, and you just, you gave me a great entrance right there. Awesome. So um, you're a diabetic. Can you share your diagnosis story? I know for some people, you know, typically with diabetes, it can start young. And um, I know there's different types of diabetes. So go ahead and educate us. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I'm in a very peculiar situation with with diabetes. So there's there's it's a two part two part story. So the first part is I was diagnosed as a juvenile type one diabetic at the age of three, and from the age of three I would take insulin injections and test my blood and have to eat accordingly to get my body to function, and that was kind of back in the day where we didn't have the medical technology that we have for the diabetics today. Um, a lot of people get type 1 and type 2 diabetes confused and type 1 diabetes means that your pancreas does not produce insulin and so you have to supplement that insulin with the injections and type 2 diabetes means that your pancreas just doesn't make enough insulin and you can um, supplement that by taking medication that can boost your insulin productivity, you can do it um, by losing weight, um, and sometimes you do have to take injections as well. So there are two different types. One is that your pancreas is completely dead and not working and you are reliant on a medication to keep you alive. And then the other one is you can do a lot of lifestyle changes to help you. So I was type one diabetic insulin dependent for um, my entire life until I ran into the part where I needed the transplant and um, I had a pancreas only transplant, which then made me no longer insulin dependent. So I am no longer a diabetic. Wow, that's crazy. I've, I've heard of transplants, of course, but not a pancreas transplant. We're definitely gonna discuss that. Um, so as far as the diagnosis, do you know anything about your story like from I know you're younger, so you probably don't really remember much, but, um, you know, do you ever know what the first signs were, what, what led to that diagnosis? Yeah. So, uh, I go on what my mom says, cause I don't remember right. much from when I was three. And she said, I was just this like, uh, effervescent, just happy kid. And I suddenly became a very lethargic, um, didn't want to get out of bed. I was always tired and I was drinking just tons and tons of water and going to the bathroom. 
and it was like a night and day difference of a, just a switch and and she could tell that that something was wrong and they called my doctor and my doctor uh, my pediatrician and the pediatrician told them to take me to the uh, hospital and that's when they did blood work and they ran and they found out that I was a diabetic and diabetes doesn't doesn't run in our family so it wasn't like they were expecting it or were watching for it it was just kind of out of nowhere um and then the par- my parents had to learn how to do the the shots how to count the dosage correctly how to test my blood how to make sh- to watch for the high and low blood sugars because one low blood sugar meaning your body doesn't have enough energy in it um will kill you so it is it is a very dangerous disease to have yeah so um i think off the top of my head normal blood sugars from like 70s to 100 in that range yeah uh huh um so just you know random question what what's the craziest number that you had do you have any crazy stories uh the craziest number that i've had is low blood sugar um and the last readable number before it would just say low is 22 Wow. And you're not supposed to be able to function below 70. So like if it when your blood sugar starts getting below 70, that's when you get those that's when you start feeling like that low blood sugar symptom. Like you become sweaty, a little bit dizzy, um you get tingling in your fingers. You're like I have to eat something. My blood sugar is going low. Um, right. and at 22 you're not supposed to be functional at all. And that was the last um That's what I mean by like low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. That was my yeah. problem. My blood sugar oh, wow. was too low. Wow, that's crazy. So did did it feel like I mean I guess you don't really have anything to compare it to, but you know, did you feel like you had a crazy childhood because of this? You know, I I think it's quite the opposite. I probably had the most normal childhood a person could have because of it. My parents, I didn't I I mean let me put it in context. I grew up on a in a small farming town on a chicken ranch and I didn't know any other diabetics. I only knew the people in the area and the small private school that I went to. My parents never made it feel like I was a burden or that something was wrong with me. It was just something we had to take care of. And if um like for a birthday for like if it was my birthday for instance i couldn't eat regular cake cuz there's too much sugar in it and then you suffer from high blood sugars and high blood sugars is is like having glass running through your veins and arteries which damage your organs and all that kind of stuff so you try to avoid that so wow. my mom my mom would figure out uh, sugar free recipes or the least amount of sugar possible um recipes of like a cake to make or cookies to make so that I never felt left out or like Aww. I couldn't have something um like sugar-free jello was always the go-to and then I remember and then there was one sugar-free ice cream that they would sell in stores it was vanilla <laughs> and so like that you know those were the treats and if and if at school someone was having a birthday party my mom would know about it and would bring me the things that that I needed and and so it was I never felt different I always felt included I was able to play sports and my dad would always coach and it was they always kept a very close eye on me without it feeling like 
I was a burden or I was That's missing nice. out on anything. And so, yeah, I, I got I'm very fortunate for that experience. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. So diabetes is an invisible illness. Have you ever had to deal with any comments or issues about your health because you don't look sick? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, so like just diabetes in itself, if you have a low blood sugar, you kind of become non-functional and people look at you like, what's wrong with you? Why are you slurring your words? Yeah, why are you drunk? You yeah. Like, why are you shaking? Why don't you make sense? And, um, that is a very common one. And it's like, all I need is sugar. Um, another common one is like, why are, why are you testing your blood? Or, you know, like, what are those medical supplies that you have with you? Um, just little things like that, that people would never know unless you kind of, you kind of let the cat out of the bag. Like you're opening your stuff and, and there's your medical supply. Yeah. And then they ask. It's, and it's, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's a injection and it's insulin and, and it keeps me alive. Oh, I never would have known. Right. Um, but the biggest, the biggest one is the low blood sugar thing, and everyone and everyone goes through it. It's it's very shocking because yeah, you said it's it's like you're drunk, and people it doesn't make sense to people, and um, uh, they think they start thinking differently of of you after they see you like that. Yeah. Um, so, would you say there's any common misconceptions with uh, living with diabetes? Oh, for sure. The, the biggest common misconception is that you did it to yourself. Wow. Um, it's an autoimmune disease. Your, your body attacks its organ. Um, it, it attacks the beta cells in the pancreas and kills it. And so it's something that you can't do. It also comes with a lot of other chronic illnesses because diabetes just has wear and tear on the body. Um, other misconceptions is that you can just reverse it with diabetes. I mean, not diabetes. Um, you can reverse diet. it with diet and exercise. Diet mm -hmm. and exercise is all you need to do. You know, just go on that five mile run every single day. Um, have a spoonful of cinnamon and drink some <laughs> celery juice, and you'll be yeah. good to go. Um, you know, all those common things that really kind of run in all the chronic illness, invisible illness circles. It's it's the same thing for diabetes, and it. And what it comes down to is, no, the body doesn't make the necessary hormones and insulin to live, and you have to replace it. It doesn't mean that I am less than because of it. It doesn't mean that I am not as capable as a person because of it. And it's quite opposite. Um, I think um, any chronic illness makes you a warrior because not only do you do everything that a normal person does that have no issues, you also deal with a full-time job of taking care of a chronic illness on top of that. And you become just so much better at life because of it. And so I think the misconception needs to be changed where, wow, you are a warrior as opposed to like, if you only tried <laughs> or have you tried, you know, Absolutely. I love that so much because I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of great documentaries out there that are educational about diet and nutrition and the importance of it. And I appreciate that, that aspect, you know, um, but I feel like at the same time, you have some people that might not quite understand 
how that works and that it's not a one size fits all that applies to everyone. And so they feel that, you know, oh, well, if so-and-so or if you or insert person here just ate this, you know, perfect diet right here and exercise that, you know, you'd be fine. It's like everything is curable with just what, with what you put in your body, but that's so not true. Right. I, there, there is a benefit. Like if, if, if I went vegan, there is a benefit, right? But mm-hmm. it's, but it doesn't, doesn't cure me. It, it doesn't Absolutely. solve the issue. And it's not even to say that veganism is the right thing, but that's, that's like the big push right now. Just go vegan, control your blood sugars. It, it just, and it's like, but how you're, it, um, everybody, everybody's body is different and what might work for you might not work for me and um i think it's hard for people to understand that because if it works for them or it has worked for somebody it has to work for you and that's another just misconception that i think it comes from a good place when people say things you know they yeah. it's like oh i read i heard let me mm-hmm. try to help you but it's like for for us we kind of take it as like it's just like oh another one (laughs) yeah well because our body's a lot more complex than that it's not just as simple as you know cutting out meat or you know for example or or drinking a a certain juice you know there's there's just so much more to it than that and you know and there's a good possibility that many of us chronic illness warriors have probably tried that out of desperation at some point in our life or another and you know so yeah (laughs) i love that you brought that point up so what is life like living as a diabetic so life as a diabetic is it is a normal life like you you have to live life you have to work you have to go to school you have to get up you got to take care of your kids you you have your family but in addition to that you're dealing with managing an illness that is all dependent upon numbers, um, math, looking at how many carbohydrates you're eating, taking insulin for it, taking into consideration, is it going to be a stressful day? Cause that's going to impact my blood sugar. Is it going to be a day where, um, is this an exercise day? What am I going to choose to eat? Um, because of that. So it's basically you're managing what you eat you're managing how much insulin is being taken into your body you need to know how much is being burned and that's all trial and error and there are machines that help you with that and uh, you can start getting on trends where you where you just kind of get used to things and uh, once you get in a in a good habit and cycle it kind of becomes easier but it's constantly it's i forget what there's a study that's out there and it's like this is probably blowing it way out of proportion, but I, a, um, a diabetic makes an extra, I think it's like 1300 decisions a day regarding their diabetes, something like that. Like it's 800 to 1300 extra decisions a day just regarding their diabetes. And so then if you add, oh, well, my blood sugar was high because something didn't happen correctly. The insulin wasn't absorbed. Now I have to correct for that. And I'm not feeling well, like my batteries have been drained and now I have to still function as a human being while my body is recovering. And so it, you know, it's a normal life 
managing a circus at, at the same time. <laughs> and, and it's not impossible. Yeah, it's not impossible. It, it's it's something that is very possible and you could live a long and full life. It just is all about managing that correctly and learning how to do it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of listeners and people who um, are in school. So, and I know that you we're definitely a student. You've got some degrees under your belt. Do you have any tips as far as that goes, managing chronic illness while going to school? Yeah, I think for a long time, it was diabetes, chronic illness. None of that was an issue for me in school. But then um, when I got older, it started becoming an issue. Like I had to have surgeries and like there, there were things that were going on. Um, that was unrelated to my illness, but I kind of found out that there are resources and there are people who can help you and you have to ask for help. So like for instance, um, in school, um, make friends with people. Like if you know that you are that you have days that you just can't make it to class or you're just not, it's not going to work. If you have a friend who's willing to take notes for you or share their notes, if you missed the class, you really didn't because then you have the notes. And that's all about communicating and being being vulnerable. Um, if it's something that happens often, uh, it's one of those things where you talk to the teacher, be like, hey, this is my life situation. <laughs> this is where I'm at. I'm, I try my best, but I there, there are times where I might have to leave the classroom because of X, Y, and Z, or I might not be able to show up and I'll send you an email because I can't get out of bed. Um, and then the, the schools are really good now with like they're, they're every everyone it's called different like they're counseling um, uh, the counselors the uh, registrars and stuff like that if you go and you talk to them and let them know what's going on then the impact and that stress of oh my gosh I have to get this paper done and it has to be in and that stress gets taken away because they're like okay no problem how much extra time do you need what was going on and it's not about abusing the system but it's using it in your favor because it's there to help Absolutely. people with chronic illness and use them and the, the and the whole point is that you have to ask um, and you have to search for it. And it, and once you start asking questions, it's kind of amazing that you can find the right people. And so yeah. that, that would be my advice for anyone going to school. I love that. So you had a pancreas transplant, which was in 2018. Um, yeah. Let's, I want to learn more about that and organ donation and how all that works. Yeah. So, um, from the age of three, I was a well-controlled diabetic. I ran my circus. I, you know, <laughs> I controlled it. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And then I ended up with, with two kidney stones at the same time. And um, they were in my left kidney. I had no idea about them. It was just a, just terrible pain. I ended up having to go get, uh, have them surgically removed. I was septic, all that kind of stuff. And it damaged my kidney enough to make it not come back like it kind of killed my kidney and they went in and they did six more surgeries trying to fix the kidney it never came back and they ended up removing it all together and that's when my well-controlled oh. i had a sorry i had a question um yeah was this 
because of diabetes or was it complicated because of diabetes? Like, did the diabetes was, make it, you know, it more un- difficult? Yeah, it was it was completely unrelated to diabetes, which okay. is like the which is like the craziest thing, right? Yeah. So diabetes, one of the first things that diabetes tends to impact is kidneys, and okay. having a damaged kidney as a diabetic is bad news. That, that you do not want that, and so um, this was a kidney stone. I'd never had them before. I don't know where it came from. They're like, so they were the size of your thumbnail. Like if you look at your thumbnail, there was two of them in the same kidney. They're like, they've, they've had to have been developing your entire life. Like we don't know why they're there. Your other kidney is fine. We just, we don't know. So they had to remove it. It did too much damage to my kidney. Um, in terms of my kidney healing from all the scarring and stuff, it might've been slower because I was a diabetic. Um, but I think that the stones, me waiting too long to go to the hospital and the surgery itself did too much damage to the kidney. Mm. So they tried all they could to save it, how to have it removed. And that's when I became this, No, I, be, I no longer became a well-controlled diabetic where I had control over my diabetes. I then became this uncontrollable diabetic with these super low blood sugars that couldn't function. I couldn't drive. I couldn't, I, I had to, I had to quit working because I would get lost. I would be walking home from work and I would get lost and wouldn't know where I would end up. I'd be found by strangers. Wow. Um, How old were you at the time? I, I was in my late twenties when mm-hmm. this started happening. I had just graduated law school. And wow. then uh, like at work, I would just be found sitting at my computer all day and people would walk by and see me and not say anything. But then when everyone was going home for the day, they would come in and be like, Brandon, like, are you okay? And I would, I would be gone mentally because my body wasn't processing insulin and food correctly. So when you eat food, your stomach digests it and then insulin attaches to food and delivers it throughout the body where it needs energy. My body wasn't doing that. Like it wasn't connecting the dots. So what would happen is I would eat and my body would process it, but it would just flush it out. It wouldn't take any of the nutrients out. So then I would have insulin, which runs through the kidneys and uh, my kidney would take it and it would burn through the insulin immediately. So it, it, it they wouldn't work in conjunction. And that's when it became in such an issue where I was passing out so much. Um, technically, I had died twice. They were going to pronounce me dead. Wow. And somehow I, I came back. Um, like, you know, how, how many times do you have to wake up with EMTs above you before you're like, okay, like, what can I do about this? And I all I did was... Um, for an entire two years was full-time doctoring. I went to every doctor you can think of, every healer, every guru, everyone. And I finally found a doctor that I went into. It was the first time I saw her. And she told me about the pancreas-only transplant. And she told me that I needed to have one. She said that if I didn't get one, I had less than two years to live because the body is not meant to shut down and restart like that. And the next low blood sugar would likely be my last, meaning I wouldn't wake up from it because by that time it had been like too much. And so 
that's when I went on my my path to figure out how to get a transplant. And you have to be referred to a transplant hospital. And the pancreas only transplants are very rare, so not very many of them do it. And I already had a kidney removed, so that's like a huge oh problem. Gosh. And so, like, I was just like this person of like, I don't even know where to go or where to start or what to do. But that's how I found out about the the transplant. It was a doctor who um, had seen it before, and she knew the the answer of of what to do. So you are fairly young and you have to get a new organ that is a rare transplant and you have to you know how do you know how did you know where to start as far as um finding the right place and then also um part b of my question is i read on your website that you had to raise a lot of money in order to make this happen so tell me how you were able to um do that because I know a lot of people would just feel hopeless and give up or just not know where to start and would just be like that's just not even that's not going to happen so how did you make that happen yeah so one of one of the greatest things that has happened for anyone with an illness has been the Affordable Care Act before the Affordable Care Act insurance companies um Medicaid and Medicare were allowed to deny you health coverage because you had a pre-existing condition. The Affordable Care Act got rid of that and made it so that you can get insurance. So as a diabetic, I gave me more freedom in life. And But one of the problems with the Affordable Care Act, while how beneficial it is, it also includes the wording of a pancreas-only transplant is an optional coverage, meaning that the um, insurance companies do not have to choose to cover the pancreas-only transplant. And so wow. it was an uncovered, it was an uncovered procedure that I, I sued, I did everything I could to get them changed and they wrote me a letter stating and, and this was this was the final decision that while they agree it was a medically necessary um, life-saving to save my life <laughs> life-saving all that kind of stuff medically necessary it was um part of the law where they didn't have to cover it and so wow. then it came to the point of I needed to pay cash to have it done. So I'm working against this timeline of two years. And the cash is, is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Two hundred and fifty thousand. So I, I finally got into a transplant hospital that is very good, Mayo Clinic in Arizona. Really great transplant hospital. I was able to talk to them. They knew I was young enough and that like I could recover from the surgery and it would be really good. But they just said, we, we, you know, we, we tried with the insurance, you tried with everything. So it comes down to $250,000 that we need upfront and we can list you. And so that is when like this whole thing started with me of like, where do you even start coming up with $250,000? I hadn't been working. That's I a house. <laughs> yeah, it's a house. I hadn't been working. I just got done with law school. I have student loans. I, I like it, it's one of those things. I can't get loans. I don't have anything. I don't have assets to sell. I don't come from money and I didn't know what to do. And so I was kind of just thinking, I was like, well, I'm going to one way or another, this is going to happen. I'm not giving up on life. I, I like I, my life just started. So um, I, 
one of the things that really changed it for me was that my lows were so bad I had to move in with somebody who would check on me if I wasn't up in the morning because I would pass out at night and stuff like that. And she had ran um, fundraisers before. And she was like, we got to put you online and we have to tell your story about why you need this and how it's unjust that it won't be covered even though you know you're going to die and i was like no don't do that because it's embarrassing you don't want to like tell everybody all of your faults and that you need help and well it's it's hard to ask for money too i mean i've i had open heart surgery and i had somebody who one time you know was saying like oh you're asking you're asking for help and get a job it's like i <laughs> You know, like people are really, truly mean. So it's, it's exactly. tough. And, 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 and that's what I did. I did not want, I didn't want to go through that. I, to me, it that, that, that's like the most embarrassing, that's the, that's the most vulnerable I can be. And I don't want to put that online for the, for anyone to see. But so finally it came down to like talking with my parents, like with my friends. And it was, it came down to what do I have to lose? If I'm dying already, what do, like what do I have to lose? And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I wrote up everything that was going on, what the money was for, what it, where it would go, and like everything was precise. We put it online. Nothing really happened. Um, and then someone anonymously donated twenty thousand dollars, just flat out. And that is what. It, it shocked me. I like I, I couldn't believe it, and that is what got the ball rolling. All of a sudden, I think people it legitimized what I was going through, wow. <laughs> um, and people started donating and sharing it. And then for social media, it wouldn't have been possible. Um, Instagram and Facebook is is what it got sent to, and then it got, it got shared, and it got and it, it it got to a lot of places, and. Um, it, I raised the two hundred fifty thousand dollars in in, in 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 three months. Wow, that's and I amazing. Wasn't even on social, and I was even on social media because <laughs> I, I I was a high school social studies teacher, and my students would stalk me, so I deleted all social media. So this was this was all the work of other people who, wow. and and it and it changed my entire perspective on life because. It, you know, you got those people who are like, well, how dare you ask me for money? And, you know, why can't you work? And, you know, you, you, um, you're a law school graduate, you can figure it out. But then you also get a lot of the people who are like, no, you need help. Let me help you. No, like, what can I do for you? Like, this is, you know, like, this is unjust. Like, you need to live. You deserve life. And, and so you, it, it, it showed me and it brought out the good in humanity. It, it, it really yeah. it really like invoked that hope um, again in in people because when you're sick you get to see the worst of yourself and of a lot of people and you kind of start thinking a lot of that and it was neat to see that because it, it brought me out of that and, and it gave me a lot of hope that people were rooting for me people were praying for me people were thinking about me and and sharing my story and um, we came up with that money, $250,000 in, in three months. And as soon as the Mayo Clinic had the money, 
I was listed a few days later and two months later I got the call for the transplant. Wow. So what was that like when you got the call? Were you excited? Did you rush to the hospital? What was that like? All of it. Like everything, <laughs> everything you can picture in a movie of it being like just crazy and not knowing what's happening and just trying to figure it out. That's exactly what happened. Um, I, it was the day after Christmas. So, oh, wow. Um, December 26, 2018. Um, it was dark. I got the call and it, it was a 480 area code, which was that's the Mayo Clinic Hospital area code. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? And yeah, answered, Merry Christmas. And <laughs> yeah. And, and the lady was like, are you ready for a new pancreas? Like, that's what she said. She didn't even say I'm from the Mayo Clinic. I'm from the transplant hospital. That's just oh, what she, she said. She must was, love her job. <laughs> I, know, I know. I was like, what? Are you serious? She goes, no, we have we have a brain dead donor that is an exact match and can you come in right now for wow. your transplant and i was like yes um and so and you were so in california and you had to get to arizona i was in arizona oh okay okay I, yeah i was in arizona so that was lucky but but everything is time so you have to get there within two hours and and, and wow. all of that kind of stuff but um so I, I got to the hospital just in time, uh, was able to do that, and I showed up. So they, they told me to show up to the emergency room. So I showed up to the emergency room. I went and I gave them my name. I'm like, I'm Brandon Mao. I'm here for a transplant. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, they told me to come here. Look, my name's my name's right there. I can see my name like written on a piece of paper. That's what they told me it was going to happen. And they said, oh, okay. And they called back within like less than a minute these doors open up it was like oh <laughs> doors open up and there's a lady standing there. she's like brandon come on start running and wow. i was like running yeah and so um as we were running down the hallway she's like start taking they're like throw this gown on <laughs> exactly what happened she goes go in the bathroom pee in this cup like it, like, it was crazy and within wow, 20 minutes fast. within tw within 20 minutes they had me in the operating room and here's the thing with transplants. Usually you get called two, three, four, five times to the hospital and you get prepped for surgery. And then they, they look at the organ and they're like, it's not gonna work. Uh, or the organ isn't doing well or whatever it was. But the surgeon walked in and she just said, it's perfect, we're putting it in. And I, I wow. was just like, like, like like what is going on right now this is just crazy like it felt like too good to be a true. dream it was, it was a dream i was like this can't be happening to me like this is just too this is, this is too, this, like this is too good like it like your mind just cannot process it and um i got wheeled into the room i saw the surgeon and the two uh i don't know the associate surgeons i don't know the other surgeons the other transplant surgeons in there as well they were sitting there working behind this big stainless steel bowl working on the organ and i was like oh my god so you saw and your organ saw that you saw your pancreas I saw, it. <laughs> I saw it i saw the pancreas and they were getting it ready and my name was written everywhere and all my x-rays and mris and like it was just it was crazy and um i was hooked up to everything and the anesthesiologist walked up behind me and he said you're this is going to be a christmas you're going to remember and he put me out and <laughs> um, 
that that you know that's like my transplant um, wow story. how long were was the recovery like okay so the surgery was about six hours and okay. then the recovery and then um when i woke up later it was so i it was kind of like an overnight surgery and when i woke up from the surgery i felt great it was like the first time i felt good in what and, just waking up normally you wake nurse, up from a major surgery you're like oh <laughs> that's crazy yeah it was that's terrible cool. it was like i felt like i felt like superman i was like hey was it successful and the nurse says your blood sugar is 89 i would consider it a successful transplant meaning that the pancreas was already regulating my body normally i wow. was it was the first time that i wasn't in the in the lows it was the first it was the first time i was feeling good and so that that was just like like i broke down like i couldn't believe that, that it actually happened and it went through and then the recovery um i was in the hospital for i think three nights because the um the pancreas is a very delicate organ they need to watch it very closely um they compare it to transplanting two pieces of tissue paper attached with jello wow. <laughs> so that's like, that's like what they're handling when they transplant it um they keep your old organ in so i have two pancreas what pancreas, <laughs> i had yeah, no idea it's less shock yeah it's less shocking to your body they do the same thing with kidneys and stuff they keep your old ones in um and then it's put um it's attached to my lower intestine and it's connected to the two main arteries in my leg and that's what keeps it going and then um so got out of the hospital and then i mean you're you're opened up from your sternum down as far as they can cut they open up all of your muscles they take out they move your intestines around it's a pretty serious surgery but considering all that i felt really good i was able to walk the first day everything you know eat all that kind of stuff and so they send you wow. home and then you come back every day for the first week for blood work and for follow-ups and they start changing your medication around and then it goes to every to, to three days a week for six weeks and then it starts getting less and less after that but i've had a few it is amazing i've had a few complications and i'm still de dealing with it and i'm you know i'm almost two years out and i would say it's it's considered like chronic mild rejection where we'll do blood work and the levels are a little bit too high or it's uncomfortable like to for where it's not good for the organ and then we'll do blood work again after we raise medication which makes my body toxic because the medication is like that bad for you um and then it will go back down and then like it keeps going vice versa so two weeks ago i went in for like a heavy duty treatment to completely kill my immune system again that's um, gonna be scary yeah. during a pandemic oh yeah all of that is is taken into consideration but for me it's like i need this organ to work because if it right. fails i go right back to where i was and i'm i already outlived that two year period of life that i was told i i i live so failure is not an option for me so um and right now we're keeping a close eye on it again so well i had the transplant and i'm very functional i feel good i get to go live life i'm dealing with medication that is destroying my kidney 
it's so it's so strong that like if I touch it and I touch something else, like it can damage things, you know, like um, it's it's poisonous if it's too much. If there's too much in your blood, you become toxic and it can kill you. Like there's wow. a lot of issues, and the biggest issue is that my immune system is 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 very very low. Um, yeah because the body can't fight the organs you're preventing that from happening and in the midst of the pandemic you got to take all that into consideration but you know i just changed my plans i'm just like eh, okay i don't need to be around crowds i'll go enjoy the outdoors (laughs) um and it changes that so i have a question i mean living with chronic illness is hard you're beyond living with just chronic illness you're you know, fighting for your life. So what inspires you to keep going despite all of that? I would say the biggest inspiration is that the spark for life returned. Just, I just want to go and experience everything. I want to see everything. I want to enjoy it. I want to impart the joy that I feel for life in other people. And I want to motivate them to like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to know what's going on and what I can do to help them. It it really has just changed because before I was, I was all about, you know, going to school, getting the right job, making the money, doing, and that no longer is, is, is what I'm after in life. I'm just after this, this part of being joy, joyful and happy. And so that is just me. Um, I don't need to make the most amount of money. I don't need, there's a lot of stuff I don't need to do anymore. And so for me, life is just about living, um, uh, becoming vulnerable and putting myself online, put me in in a different position as well, because a lot of people invested in me, including somebody who died, whose organ I got as a gift, who has, who keeps me alive. And so I think like, to me, I need to live, you know, that person died, but I get, I get to continue to living that life. And what, what I also found through that whole vulnerability thing is that there aren't very many people, I couldn't find a single person who has gone through what I went through. Being the diabetic, becoming the brittle diabetic, needing the pancreas only transplant, there aren't people out there who are public about it it happens they're not very public. yeah so you're you're like a pioneer patient basically that you know and that's why i think makes your advocacy so important and valuable yeah so i decided that i was going to put my 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 healing journey on instagram and people are finding me from all over the place and want to know more information and i you know and i share it with them and i think that it's really neat because that's a way for me to give back because there was a lack of that information for me and now it's out there and um, using platforms like yours and stuff like that i'm able to just advocate and tell people about it and then at least they know because i i didn't even know and i grew up with diabetes my whole life you know um and so i think the the more awareness there is about it the better and so that's a big thing that that i'm all for um and so that's kind of what my future is right now and i don't know what it's going to look like in a year but i'm going to enjoy every day while i have it and make the most of it absolutely and i think i saw on your website that you might have a book coming up yeah so That's i cool. i i wrote a book it it was completely random it wasn't like oh i'm writing a book it, 
it, it was inspired by a doctor who told me I needed to write one. Um, and because she said I should have died, uh, she expected me to be dead and somehow I didn't. And so she, her whole thing was just like, write the book. So anyways, I wrote the book, started with an outline, yada, yada, yada. It goes into like my childhood growing up with diabetes, growing up on an egg ranch, um, you know, like being bullied by people and just, you know, being, and just all the things that you learn living with a chronic illness, but thinking that it's even, that not even knowing chronic illness life. And then, um, you know, dealing with family issues. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's a pretty interesting book. It would have come out this last summer, but because of COVID and because I, I need to get out and speak to people. That's my message. The book is just it's a platform for my message but um i'm so we push we were able to push it forward or push it i don't know what the right word push it back to uh next summer and hopefully by then it will it will be good enough where i can go to speak to people and stuff like that and yeah i mean um uh, on my website sign up for my mailing list i don't send i don't send a bunch of crap it's just it's and it's inform it's more it's more details of, inf of interesting information that i have and mm -hmm. then it's it's updates about that book because i'm going to be sending everyone the book because i think it's <laughs> it's a motivating it's a motivating book and i want everyone to have it so if you sign up for that thing i'll be sending books out to very um, cool people as soon as, as so soon what's as your website out. but yeah so I, I, my website is brandonmau.com and my last name is spelled m for mary o-u-w brandon mouth awesome and then i'll have a blog post written up where i'll have the links to find you on instagram and find your book and your website and all of that also included in these episode notes oh cool thank you yeah, yeah. and i mean and that's just, and that's just one part of my life you know and I, and I enjoy doing it i like sharing my story i like motivating people and that's my hope um and uh let people know that they're not alone in this fight you know life freaking sucks you know what i mean like life can really knock you down but it doesn't mean that it's all the time and it, and it doesn't mean that you have to be a victim of it and um that's kind of the message i go for absolutely do you have any last uh words of wisdom you want to share yes whatever happens wherever you're at in life there's always hope don't ever give up hope and the sun will always rise tomorrow and you can count on that. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I love it. Thank you. Yes. Please be sure that you subscribe to the blog, which is bluedreamhealth.com, where you can find additional links and information on this episode. You can also check out the digital magazine on our website, as well as find us on Patreon, where you can be a supporter.